I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land upon which this recording takes place, the Wadandi and Bibbulmun people of Wudichup in the southwest Bujara region in Noongabudja, also known as Margaret River. I acknowledge their continuing connection to the land, waters and community. I pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Hey there, welcome back to the Men, Sex and Pleasure podcast. This is episode number 101. I am your host, Cam Fraser, and we're talking all things masculinity, sexuality, male bodies and men's experiences of pleasure. Today, I have the pleasure of chatting with Gold Coast-based sex therapist, relationship counsellor and intimacy coach, Helena Nista. Helena is a certified sex therapist. She's also certified in somatic counselling and tantra. She's a mentor, author, speaker and lover. Helena is passionate about helping her clients become the best lovers they can possibly be, overcome any sexual difficulties, and create amazing sex lives. She does it through one-on-one sex therapy and coaching, online courses, books, workshops, and events. Helena's one-on-one sessions are conducted internationally over Zoom, and to date, Helena has coached thousands of clients, done hundreds of sex therapy sessions, and her online programs have reached countless individuals all over the world. You can find Helena on her website, which is helenanista.com, and that's Helena spelt H-E-L-E-N-A, and Nista spelt N-I-S-T-A, or on Instagram, which is at helenanista, or on YouTube, which is youtube.com forward slash helenanista, and you can check out her book, which is called Legendary Lover. I highly recommend. And in this particular episode, the two of us talk about the practicalities of being a better lover and specifically for men to be better lovers for and to women. So if you are interested in that dynamic, I suppose um, in a heterosexual kind of context and you're wanting to learn how to become a better lover, you're looking for some practical advice, some really practical down to earth things that you can start to implement tonight after listening to this episode, then I highly recommend tuning in and getting some, yeah, just some straight shooting, straightforward advice uh, from Helena and myself, lots of nuggets of wisdom in there. So this is a really enjoyable conversation for me. I um, loved connecting back in with Helena and I hope you enjoy listening. When a boy is between the ages of 13 and 16, the testes begin to produce sperm cells. The old contraceptive, uh, the condom, it's uh, wrapped in rather a sort of crinkly paper. John, let's be straightforward about this. I'm not here to make a moral judgment, but you and I know that it was contracted through sexual intercourse with an infected person. All right. Um, so the, the the way that I start is with an invitation, Helena. I'd love to invite you for the next couple of minutes to share a little bit about who you are, what it is that you do, and what you're really passionate about. So that's my open invitation to you um, to give you the floor. Thank you so much. I am a sexologist, a sex therapist, and a sex educator. And what I love doing is, in a nutshell, teaching people or helping people how to have great sex. That is my passion. That's what I enjoy doing. That's what I do on a daily basis. <laughs> I love that. How did you um how did you get into that? Like what was your what was your journey into that? I, I think we spoke just off air about you starting in the the kind of Tantra sacred sexuality bubble, but how did you get there in the first place? 
it was a very personal journey. I never, I was never thinking, I was never looking for a new career or a new job. I basically just had a really crappy sex. Like I was in a desperate need of a sex therapist uh, from basically when I started my sex life at around 20 years old. I was raped multiple times when I was younger. I was, I grew up with a lot of kind of religious Catholic conditioning. So I just believed that sex was dirty. My genitals were, you know, nudity and pleasure. All of that was inappropriate. And so I, so I had a lot of kind of restrictions and suppression and blocks around sexuality. So then when I started having boyfriends over time and my own sex life was pretty crap because of that, you know, like forget orgasms. I couldn't even feel pleasure during sex. You know, it was for the most part, sex was uncomfortable. Uh, at times painful. I didn't know how to get aroused. The pain was basically caused by just the dryness of my vagina and the penis kind of being forced inside. So over many years of that, I was trying to figure things out, trying to do some research, the limited research that, you know, limited resources that I could find back then. Uh, but nothing was really helping. No cosmetics or tricks were giving me the promised amazing sex. <laughs> So at some point, I kind of just settled for, for this mediocre sex. And I just thought, it is what it is. As long as I have a partner and I'm in love, that's, you know, I can trade in poor quality sex for a loving relationship. And I kind of, that was my plan for, for, for the rest of my life. Uh, but life had a better, had a different plan. So uh, uh, I ended up in a hospital because one time... Seven, eight years ago, I had this instance of having sex with my partner where I ended up in so much pain that he had to take me to the emergency room. I was, part of me thought I was dying because the pain in my pelvis was so excruciating. Uh, it turned out it was just a muscle spasm, so it was nothing life, life threatening. But the pain was so excruciating and so scary that I literally just thought I can never again risk having sex ever again in the same way if I can, as a result, end up in so much pain and in the hospital. So that was like a wake up call where basically on the way from hospital that day, I thought I need to change. I need to teach myself how to have great sex. Otherwise, I'm risking this again. So, you know, the, the journey started as a very personal adventure. I just needed to learn. If I was always the one who had poor quality sex, then maybe I could change you know maybe i could learn and i could find a way to have this amazing orgasmic sex that everybody else seemed to be having it was like i literally thought i was the only broken damaged kind of person um so i started my journey started first with tantra because i just really didn't know what else to research and what else to look into but i just had this re recollection that tantra was something that had to do with some kind of extraordinary sexual experiences. So I went to my first Tantra workshop, fell in love with Tantric philosophy, started exploring further, started going to see different therapies, mainstream therapies, but also shamanic, Tantric, also the different therapies uh, and practitioners started going to workshops, positive sexuality, Tantra, everything I could find that had to do with intimacy relationships and sexual relating reading books, you know, etc. And then I started getting so deeply into this work and it started to create results <laughs> for myself because I started to slowly heal my sexual trauma and heal the wounding and heal the sort of numbness 
in my genitals and my body actually started to open up essentially sexually erotically and I started to experience orgasms and expanded orgasms and a lot of pleasure and beautiful intimate connections with my different lovers over time that I didn't even know were possible before. So that kind of personal transformation meant basically that I just became so passionate about this. In the meantime, I also learned that I wasn't the only person who wasn't enjoying sex or had some kind of sexual frustrations and problems. I actually learned that there's a lot of people that have a lot of questions or frustrations or deal with discomfort, pain, or add their questions and issues during, during sex. And I thought, whoa, if I can help them because I've been on this journey, then that's so amazing. If I can share with the world what I learned for myself and the value that I got for myself through this tantric, sexual, etc., etc., journey, then that will be just fantastic. So that's when I decided to do um, first tantra practitioner training. And originally I started as a tantra teacher. I was teaching uh, what tantra was and how to use it. And then I just realized that people were coming to me with such a range of sexual problems that tantra wasn't always the answer and that I needed to get more tools in oh, mind. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. <laughs> I learned it the hard way, you know, when people come to see you, you know, but basically people were coming to see me, to see me with sexual trauma. And that's just, tantra wasn't necessarily the way for them. So I really decided that I needed to become a sexologist and really like expand my toolkit, studied um, sexological bodywork, uh, then became also a counselor because, yeah, trauma is such, especially sexual trauma, is such a profound and and powerful topic to 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 work with, and uh, and that that's why that's why sort of over time, I was kind of adding all these different modalities to my to my work, and expanding and growing as a as a professional and as a as a sexologist, and. That's why I am here now. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. I really appreciate you, um, yeah, sharing so personally. And and you know, I recognize that your personal experiences have really informed like the reason why you do this work. And I, I think that's a pretty common theme for a lot of people in the sexuality profession. Um, it is for me. Like I know my own personal journey around sexuality has greatly impacted the reason why I do the work that I do. And um, and so, like, it seems to be like when I talk to people that are in, you know, that are a sexologist or a sex therapist or a sex coach or an educator, like, it wasn't just like, oh, I just want to be a sex educator when I grow up. It was like, you know, something had kind of like gone through, they'd gone through a journey, they'd gone through like a personal experience and they're like, holy shit, like, this is amazing. And, and I, you know, other, other people need to know about this, you know, and, um, and there's just kind was of like a real, a real, a, like a personal sexual frustration as well. Um, mine was, uh, yeah, I suppose like you call it a frustration. Like my own experience, um, was, uh, I, and I've shared this a bunch on podcasts. So, um, the, the idea like, um, I, in a nutshell, cause I, I, I want to ask you questions. Um, I don't want to talk too much about me, but I will share this is I, um, I went through a period of time where I moved to America. Um, I moved when I was 17 to be a student athlete in America. And, um, I don't know what it is and maybe my American listeners can kind of explain this to me, but Americans seem to love Australians. Like I was just like very well received as an Australian, young Australian dude over there. Um, and so because of that had a lot of casual sex and the casual sex that I was having was like really shit. Um, and the reason why it was really shit was because firstly, I was very concerned about my um, performance. I was like, 
you know, my masculinity and who I was as a man was very much wrapped up in like, can I get an erection? Can I last long enough? Can I, you know, ejaculate a big ejaculation? Right? There was a period of time where I was concerned about how voluminous my ejaculate was. Um, so stupid. Um, but then I was like, to, to compensate for that, like to, to, um, to work through that, I drank, right? So I was a young young guy in kind of fraternity culture. I was a student athlete as well. So I was part of like the locker room misogynistic kind of like culture as well. The phrase that I often lean on here, my thoughts about sex at that time were every hole's a goal. Like it was just very, um, it's a very Australian slang term for people that, that maybe haven't heard that, but it's um, yeah, just like it was just uh, quantity over quality in terms of sexual experiences was like my attitude towards sex. And so I was just, but I was also very concerned about that as well and about, you know, being a man who had lots of partners, like that was what I thought it meant to be masculine. And and so then I was like in these locker room cultures, it was just like very stereotypical, toxic, like behavior, right? Toxic masculinity, if you want to use that word. Um, and so uh, very fortuitously, I seriously injured my back, I actually fractured my lower spine. And part of my clinical rehabilitation was, I was introduced to Pilates and I was introduced to yoga and I was introduced to meditation and massage and breath work and all these amazing modalities that I'd never considered before. Cause I was like, I don't need that. I'm a, you know, I'm a young, you know, hot blooded, you know, Australian who the fuck needs to go to yoga. And so, you know, for the first time in my life at around the age of 19, I actually listened to my body actually, you know, and there was, there's periods of time during a yoga class that I would just, you know, be trying to hold a posture, you know, and because my back was so sore and I couldn't hold it, that I would just like burst out into tears and all this emotion would come up or, you know, doing an exercise in Pilates class, again, sore and frustrated that all of a sudden this rage and this anger would come through and just like seemingly out of nowhere, like way out of proportion compared to like how frustrated I was at the exercise. And I was just like, this is so weird like what the hell is going on and I, I know now in hindsight that what was happening was i had stored a lot of trauma and emotions and like fear and anxiety in my body as as tension as tightness and so these modalities where i was actually breathing and slowing down and stretching and opening and surrendering was allowing for those things to come up to the surface and um and so i, I quickly was like i need to do something about this and I don't want to give the impression as a 19 year old that I was like, yeah, I'm going to do a personal development journey. I'm going to do, you know, work through my emotions. That was not the headspace I was in. The headspace I was in was I need to go to see a counselor because I don't want my mates to know that I'm crying in yoga class. And I got to stop, I got to put a stop to that. So I got to figure out what the hell is going on. So I was still very concerned about like what, you know, my masculinity was and what my mates thought about me. Um, and so I saw a counselor and thankfully through my counselor was amazing. They put me onto a, um, a psychologist and I just started like processing, like processing emotions, unraveling and unpacking my stories around masculinity, like what it meant to be a man, what it meant to be a sexual man, like my childhood wounding, why I was doing this, like why I felt conditioned to do things this way and my, like my sexual scripts and like why I was really concerned about performance. And it just to like sum up like the impact that this had on me, I just like stopped giving a fuck about what my male friends thought about me. I just stopped caring so much about like trying to impress them and trying to perform my masculinity for them and trying to be macho and, and have like this bravado and, and you know, lie about how good I was at sex and shit like that. Like it was just like, I just didn't want to do that anymore. I just felt, it just felt way 
too inauthentic, way too not genuine. Um, and I, I guess like, you know, I started noticing that the connections I was having with the young women that I was being sexual with started to get better, you know, because I was quite anxious before I was like experiencing a lot of premature ejaculation, a lot of erectile dysfunction. You know, I was also watching a lot of porn. I was just like not able to connect sexually with myself, let alone these young women. Um, and when I started like, and then also I was drinking a lot as well. And that definitely didn't help the sex that I was having. Um, and se- and like the alcohol became a crutch because if I just got drunk, then it wasn't my fault that the sex was shit. I was just too fucked up and I could just write it off as this, you know, as, as the alcohol. Um, and so that became a self-fulfilling kind of prophecy. Uh, but as soon as I started you know, healing and, and doing the work, not only the talk therapy work, but also the body-based work through massage and yoga and Pilates and things like this, the sex that I started having was better. I wasn't so concerned about like looking, quote unquote, looking like a man. Um, I started asking my partners about what turned them on. I started like talking more to them. I didn't just go through the motions. I wasn't so that tense was like in, your in my body. Early twenties. Yeah, I was around nineteen, twenty years old. Yeah, yeah. That's so that so, was uh, that's fascinating. That's yeah, it was so ten early. years ago. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. I was very, like I said, it was very fortuitous. It was like very lucky that that happened to me at that time. Um, and I didn't. Yeah, because I like if I hadn't had that experience of like really seriously injuring myself, then I wouldn't be the person that I, I am today. So like, it literally broke me. Like my back was was fractured, was broken, um, and so. Yeah, like from that from that break, right from that wound, essentially, um, you know, I, I kind of stepped into this work, and and so it was for, it was a very personal journey, right? It was a very personal thing for me to like. I felt a lot of shame about who I was. I you know felt a lot of guilt about the way I treated women and and men and people in my past, and so I started like trying to be a better man, essentially, and started talking talking out against like the guys who would say some pretty misogynistic and homophobic shit in the locker rooms, and started like calling them out on that and. Um, and just went on a journey of like learning how to be a better man and a better lover. Um, and that's kind of culminated in, you know, I, I did some, some Tantra stuff and, you know, yoga and then, you know, degrees in psychology and sexology and just pursuing this in a whole bunch of different ways. Cause there's so many overlap. There's so many overlaps between like, you know, different modalities and, and how they impact our sex life and sexuality. So yeah, that's, that, that was my major turning point in my life, I suppose. And then the reason why I kind of went down this route is because I saw the, saw the gold in it right in in actually making a change so um and I yeah, that thanks, so thanks for asking you, you were able to like discover what actually was true and authentic for you as opposed to just going with what the mates you know in the locker rooms were kind of expecting you to do and to be and cause some people just spend their whole lives in that mindset of what's expected of me what i should be how i should be behaving according to other people but you felt that your authenticity was somewhere else that's what I see actually is a lot of resistance for men to do this work. Um, so when I, obviously my, my target audience is to speak to like the just general population of guys, you know, my demographic of guys, which is like cis het white dudes, right? That's my lived experience. And so that's the audience that I try and target. Um, a lot of resistance to doing this work is what are my mates going to think about this? What if, what if my mates find out I'm seeing a sex therapist? What if my mates find out that I'm doing things sexually a little bit different? They're going to take the piss out of me. They're going to make fun of me. Right? And a lot of male friendships are built upon taking the piss out of each other, especially Australian friendships, Australian male friendships. It's a lot of like banter and, um, you know, kind of putting each other down. Um, and so like, especially when I went on my journey, I, I lost a lot of friends. 
And it took me, there was a period of loneliness. And then now I've got like an amazing group of men in my life, but that that's a scary journey. And I think a lot of men are afraid of that as well, of being ostracized by their current male friendships and then having to go on a period of like loneliness and then come out on the other side and, and try and make new friends. Um, that's definitely something that I've noticed in the guys that I've worked with. Um, yeah. Does, does that make sense? Yes. That makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah. Thank you for letting me ramble on for a, for a moment there um, about my own journey. That was really lovely. Um, my, um, <laughs> thank you for sharing. Yeah. Uh, my uh, like intention for, for getting you on the podcast was to speak to you about like the practicalities of, you know, I, I mentioned about becoming a better lover, becoming a better man. I think that sexuality is inextricably linked to who we are as a human being. And, and you know, especially speaking from a man's perspective, my sexuality is a huge part of who I am as a man. And the, the more that I shunned that part of myself or pretended that it wasn't there or treated it in a really unhealthy way, the, the, you know, the lesser man that I was. And so I really think that, you know, exploring sexuality and, um, and being, you know, open to exploring your sexuality is a really important part of like becoming like a better man and a better lover. Um, and so I wanted to speak to you about like some, just some practical ways that guys can start to explore not only their sexuality, but like their sexuality with their partners. A lot of the guys that I speak to are really, when they start reaching out to me, they're very concerned about like, doing things in the bedroom with their partner they want the techniques they want the strategies they want the the tips and the tricks that they can do to make their partner have more pleasure or have more orgasms right and so i have to kind of slowly decondition them out of that and be like it's not about the techs and tricks and techniques and all this sort of stuff it's kind of about just experiencing pleasure in general whatever way that looks like um but i was thinking that we could maybe dive into what that what that could kind of look like at a very kind of basic fundamental kind of practical level, if that's okay with you. Sure. And, you know, look, I also believe that techniques are a good like, starting point. So if all, you know, is to stick a penis into vagina and that's all that your repertoire in the bedroom consists of, then definitely go and learn some techniques and do some research. And I have a lot of videos on my YouTube channel teaching how to touch her breasts, how to touch her vagina, different ways to do different things, you know, so that's, that can be really, really helpful. But every single time I talk about these things, I always make it clear that everybody is different. What works for one woman or man is not necessarily going to work for another one. So always, always come from a place of mind of curiosity and exploration, you know, and you wouldn't believe how many times pretty much almost every day I get messages from men saying, will she, my partner, like it if I do this? And I just want to say, I don't know. <laughs> Have you asked her? <laughs> because that's the thing. There is this very sort of damaging mindset of, as a man, you should know how to do sex, how to touch her, how to do good sex. You just are supposed to know. Well, how are you supposed to know? And the more you embrace that mindset of, yeah, I know different things. I've tried different things in the past. Some of them work with my lover. Some of them I learned online, etc. But here's a completely, let's say, new lover in front of me that I want to try these things with and explore with. But I don't know what's going to work with her. I am, you know, being a sex therapist, whenever I get together with a new lover, I will tell him, look, I know a lot of different things, but I don't know your body. So teach me about your body. Tell me, give me feedback, communicate with me. Do you like it when I do this? 
how does it feel? Which can I make it better? Can it, can it, yeah, can I add something to it or would you like it differently? Communication about touch, about how to touch each other better is so amazing. And obviously, I don't start off with, you know, a whole list of this is how you're supposed to touch me so to give me pleasure. You know, I do want to experience the spontaneity and just see how we flow together. But I also really, really believe that it, that it is so helpful or actually quite necessary to have great sex to be able to voice desires or questions or feedback, you know, etc. That is so important. So men, you are not supposed to know it all. You're not supposed to know how to pleasure every single, single woman in the world, but you can learn how to be a master lover to your woman if you're willing to ask the questions and have the conversations with her, be curious, explore and see what works. Hey there, thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I hope you're enjoying this episode. I just wanted to chime in here with a plug for my online men's course. It's called Outperform a Porn Star. It goes for six weeks and it's all about experiencing multiple orgasms, overcoming any uh, sexual dysfunctions, reframing your whole performance mindset around sex to be more pleasure-oriented, we talk about communicating with your partner, being a sexual leader, and all of this amazing stuff. So if you're interested in learning how to outperform a porn star, head to my website, www.cam-fraser.com. Uh, let's get back to this episode. Yeah, I really love that. And I love this idea of asking, like, just like ask your partner if what you're doing is pleasurable for her or for them. And you know, part of that as well, because that that seems simple enough. But what I've noticed is if I just give that instruction and guys like just go and ask, if she says, no, I don't like it when you do this, a lot of guys, because their ego is really wrapped up in, like it was for me, I shared before, like in their sexual performance, a lot of guys can can feel really um, dejected by like a, like a no, for example, like, no, that doesn't feel good. Like guys can be like, holy shit, I've been doing that to you for years or I've done that to other women. Like who, like who's been, like it can just be a very like hard thing for, I mean, no is hard in general for people to hear, but especially in that context, a lot of guys, cause of their, the way that they set up sex and what it, what it means to them, I suppose, for them to, to hear a no. Um, and so because of that, because of that fear of, of like essentially, being rejected or, or saying that they're not good at something, they can then get a little bit defensive, right? Um, they can be like, oh, well, this this other woman liked it when I did this or, oh, why haven't you told me earlier? Or And they can kind of, again, this is kind of a conversation about creating safety. They can make their partner, it kind of like, not intentionally, but this can kind of, kind of happen, make her not feel safe to speak up about what she does and doesn't like because of his reaction to what, she says she doesn't doesn't like, um, and so that can sh that can shut down conversation. Exactly, and you know, and I do get that because for a male ego, like his per performance or how how well he does as a lover is very strong, strongly linked to the to the male ego. You know, when he feels like he's this amazing lover, he is gonna feel like an amazing man. You know, at the other areas of life, they are very strongly linked. So it can be very damaging to feel like you're not doing well or you're poor lover or you're doing something wrong potentially etc but asking those questions and potentially hearing some initial no's is 
I feel like that's a worthy price to pay to grow as a lover. Yeah, and it's it's vulnerable, and it's it's the whole idea of like leaning into your vulnerability um, and being a vulnerable lover. I think is like a really necessary thing to do. You've got to kind of expose yourself to a little bit of oh god, that stung my ego a little bit. Oh fuck, I didn't realize that that was not something that you enjoyed or whatever, right? And um and that helps you grow, like you said. I think I definitely think it's a worthwhile thing to do, and um and that the the resistance that men have to doing that is only like hurting their sex life right it's only hurting their their sexual exploration with their partner and the sex that they might be having so um, but women can also help with that by being more gentle with the communication just to say to your partner no that was shit <laughs> yeah, well, sorry, how is that going to be helpful for his yeah. ego or for your sex life how not have a more more kind of positive supportive communication about i love your enthusiasm and there is something actually I really would like you to do, or there's this way that, you know, you sometimes touch me or, you, you know, or I would like you to, or something I like, and this is how, you know, how about I show you, honey, or how about, you know, I guide you and see what happens, or the new technique I, you know, I, I heard of, and how about we play with this? So it doesn't have to be a negative thing. So women can definitely help with that. So yeah, yeah, I 100% agree. I like to say keep it pleasure oriented and keep it positively framed as well, right? So like saying no, that was shit is definitely not pleasure oriented and definitely not positively framed. So I 100% I agree with you on that. There's like communication, right? And it's so cliche, but communication is so key. Um, and I 100% agree with with um, that approach that you're you're sharing there. Um, I also actually love love conversations about sex that happen not during sex because it's one thing to be able to, and you know it takes takes both it takes a bit of practice to learn to say you know to give feedback during during sex or to even ask for things that you desire but i think what really takes sex to the next level is to have some kind of regular sex life check-in where you designate a time once a month or once a quarter or as often as, often as your relationship needs that and have a conversation about your sex life where you can fully voice everything that you do love and enjoy about your sex life to reinforce the good stuff that's happening, but also where you can voice and be really fully heard by your partner in different areas that maybe are not quite perfect and that you would like, where you would like things to change. Because there will be always something like that. And it can feel extremely vulnerable to even say to your partner, look, there is this thing, you know, I've been struggling to either orgasm or come from whatever, then, you know, or feel the kind of ecstatic pleasure that I know I can, I am capable of. But if you establish and create this kind of safe space on some kind of regular basis where both of you can communicate clearly and you're going to be heard by the other person, then implementing this kind of you know tips and techniques and requests that you learned in that, com that, that conversation for the next month or two or three or whatever is really going to improve the quality of your sex life. Yeah, having conversations about sex outside of the bedroom is super necessary, right? And, and I often say as well, like if you're not ready to have a conversation about something sexual, then you're not ready to do that sexual thing, right? If you're not willing to have a conversation about, I don't know, some sort of sex act, then you're not ready to do that sex act, right? Yeah, that's that's usually my, my rule of thumb, yeah. Absolutely yeah. agree. Um, well, with all that caveat said, right, with communication being obviously key here and, and paramount, what are some 
practical strategies for, let's say for, for, for men in particular, I suppose, but for, for partners that have, um, you know, a, a female partner, they want to, they want to do something new. They want to experiment. They want to lean into their curiosity. They want to try a new touch or the new, new technique or a new strategy for touching their partner. What, what are some things that they might like to experiment with? I think for, you know, that specific situation where you just want to explore new things, playing with a game called active receiving is something that so many of my clients had so much success with, where you basically just request your partner to touch you in different ways. And they are the giver. They're not allowed to touch you in any way that's not requested. So literally your partner just follows your voice <laughs> in what you would like, how, you know, where you want to be touched, how you want to be touched. Is it light touch? Is it, you know, flowing, sharp, strong, you know, etc. where on the feet, on the breasts, on the, on the genitals, on the face, you know, etc. So having fun with this, and that's, that's the key here. You know, that's the key part here. You cannot fail this. You cannot do this wrong. You basically, it's about having fun. It's about exploring, you know, especially things that you might not even associate typically with a bedroom activity. You know, if you want your partner to scratch your nose while they are, I don't know, kissing your tummy, you know, just see what it feels like, you know, explore, have fun with this. Having fun with this actually is like literally, you know, being playful about this practice and then obviously swapping as well so that the other partner gets the same chance. That is, in my personal experience, because I've played with this game many times, but also with, you know, in my client's experience, that is such a wonderful way to learn about your own body and what it wants. And, oh, actually, this was like, we'll try this new thing and it was amazing. But also for the giver to learn about their, their partner and how they might, you know, touch them in the future during sex, etc. Because, you know, we can't just guess everything and if we give our partner say half an hour to just ask for whatever you want and be playful and explore and let's just have fun with it then they're gonna ask for different things and they're gonna enjoy different things that might be a complete revelation to you about what that that would be actually a pleasurable kind of touch wow but my partner loved it I'm putting that in my little repertoire of yes (laughs) that's that's what I always say is like you've learned something about your partner Make a note of that and be like, oh, okay, cool. They asked for that. They really enjoyed it when I did that. The next time you're having sex, hey, I might try that thing that you asked for before that you really liked and bring it into sex. Maybe they, maybe they said, oh, I want you to scratch my nose. And they're like, holy shit, that feels amazing. Next time you have sex, oh, I'm going to scratch your nose and, and just you know bring that into the sexual experience and see you know how it feels and see how it changes the whole, the whole dynamic of it. I think that's, yeah. Uh, the way that I frame this for guys is like, Treat it as a as you collecting co- collecting data, collecting evidence from your partner, and um, and and you know don't don't think of it as this something that you know, this is a strategy I suppose for for helping kind of take the ego out of it is um yeah treat it as an experiment where you're collecting information about your partner, you're um you're collecting data, so um, that can be a way to kind of frame the the positive experience as opposed to being something that like if they say well I don't like it when you do that it being quite a stinging thing um yes to to treat it as the experiment um. I love, you know, another, I love that. Another another way, just just briefly, another little technique, which you know is for the most maybe adventurous couples, because that's something that really pushes people out of their comfort zone, is to actually witness each other masturbate. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like literally, 
watch your partner masturbate, see how they touch themselves. Do they do they use lubrication or not? How much pressure? What spots? How what kind of touch? Etc. Just like pay attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One hundred percent agree with that. And and like that doesn't have to be. You don't like. Like you don't have to study them. You don't have to be like, okay, I'm just going to get my notebook out and just make notes and just like really, you can mutually masturbate, right? You can do it together and you can make it this like really beautiful experience that um, can either exist by itself or it can be part of like a whole, you know, sexual encounter. You know, you can you can mutually masturbate and then transition into something else and and whatever. So it doesn't have to be, I think uh, definitely when I've spoken to men, they're like, why, what, watching my partner, that would be so awkward. Like that would just be in the room, like looking at them. It's like, no, 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 you know, it doesn't have to look like that. It can be a lot more sexy and sensual and a lot more playful than just kind of studying them from the corner of the room and pretending that you're, you're not there. But it's only awkward if you decide that it's awkward. If you decide that it's the most beautiful, wonderful, delightful thing to sit in the bedroom with your partner while they're touching themselves, then that's exactly what's going to be, be the most delightful, wonderful shared experience. It's like the mindset here is also so important. So many, many people come from a place of things should be in a certain way. You know, like sometimes recently I was teaching, I made a video about how to teach, how to make a woman squirt. And I mentioned like preparing some towels and asking her to go to the toilet first, you know, to empty her bladder, etc. And somebody commented, what? Doing all these things? Where's the spontaneity? And I was like, why does it have to be spontaneous? So it, it, it just, and I, these are, there are so many different ideas about what sex should be, what it's supposed to be. And it's constricting us into kind of like small experiences, whereas what's possible is actually so much bigger. If we are willing to let go of the ideas of what should or should not be happening. How about plan a beautiful, you know, romantic experience together? And just on the note of that spontaneity, because that really rubs me the wrong way, that sex has to be spontaneous. No, it doesn't. When you're first dating, sex is never spontaneous. You make plans, you go on dates, you anticipate things, you prepare, you shave your beats, you look forward to it, you fantasize about what it's going to be like, you take them for a nice dinner or cook or whatever, and then you anticipate sex. There's nothing spontaneous about that. But it's beautiful and we have no problem with that. And yet then down the track, we expect sex in a committed relationship to be always spontaneous and always mind-blowing. And it's not because we compare it to the, um, to the initial honeymoon period kind of sex. And we think, why isn't it the same? And we want it to be passionate and spontaneous and amazing and surprising and delightful and orgasmic. And yet you're not doing any of the things you were doing before. You're not preparing for it you're not planning you're not fantasizing anticipating doing all the sort of creating the the sexual tension you just think okay i'm gonna work and i'm gonna come home and hopefully we're gonna have great spontaneous sex <laughs> yeah that's a great point i really like that actually i hadn't hadn't um thought of it that way with regards to uh in like initially dating and those like really early early days you're right you you anticipate and you you plan and it's yeah you I, I really like that actually that's really cool um the um there's something that i i like to just to kind of bring things back to like some practicalities there's something that i like to talk to men about with regards to their like female partners anatomy which is um like a lot of guys have this mentality i find that when it comes to penetrative sex they need to be like deeper is better and faster is better and that um that essentially they're mimicking what they see in pornography it's like it's hard fast as deep as possible like that's that's what 
women enjoy. That's like their, their kind of thought process. And so something that I talk to them about is like, yes, deep can be pleasurable. There's like such a thing as cervical orgasms, of course, but the average woman isn't necessarily like tuned in to that. So if you've got a partner that maybe hasn't done a lot of work around her sexuality, that's probably, unless they've done a bit of work, not something they're going to be especially pleasurable for them. Um, and so like, if we're just talking like the average kind of couple here, something to be mindful of is like, for for men at least, this is something I talk to men, is like just learning about like the nerve endings in the vulva and in the vagina, which are, you know, for the most part in the first third, in the in, towards the entrance of the vagina and spending time stimulating the vulva, spending time in that first third with maybe some shallower thrusts and some thrusts that are maybe instead of just in out like a piston, maybe uh, angled upwards towards the uh, G spot, right? The the internal clitoral complex and and just starting to like challenge what they think is, you know, penet- like what penetration is supposed to look like. You mentioned that before. There's a lot of like expectations about what sex should look like. And so a lot of guys think, okay, penetration has to look like this. It's got to be long, fast, hard, deep strokes. And that's all they kind of really go for. And they, don't, they never think about switching that up. Um, and so I was wondering, is that like, do, would you agree in, in terms of like what I've just shared or is there, am I missing something here? Is there other suggestions you would have for like penetration itself? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, so much, <laughs> so much, but I'm, I'm not gonna, yeah, I'm, I do want to take a whole hour talking about that. First of all, yes. Deep penetration is something that looks great in porn and I guess looks very exciting and that's what it's supposed to look like. Exciting and arousing in real bedrooms doesn't usually work that well. It can work really well if she is really aroused, like really, like so aroused, so turned on, so lubricated. Her cervix is literally going to lift out of the way. Her vaginal canal is going to elongate. It's going gonna, it's gonna to become really wet and yummy in there. Then, yeah, go for it. She will probably really, really enjoy it. Um, but unless, but if she's not terribly, terribly aroused, which in most cases, unfortunately, what happens in the bedrooms is what I call premature penetration. So penetration happens too quickly. She's not quite as aroused yet. So it can be a bit painful, uncomfortable. And you're right. The most nerve endings are in the first third of the vaginal canal. You know, there's, that's, that's why so many surgeries and procedures in the vagina can happen without any sort of anesthetic. Uh, so playing with that first third, especially exploring the, you know, the G spot towards the, towards her belly and all the sort of, you know, the, even the openings can be, you know, so, so sensitive depending on her, her own connection with her, with her genitals. There's so much there to play with, you know, like, like just even like turning, twisting your hips from side to side while you're penetrating her, which is exactly what you were talking about that, you know, applying pressure to different parts of, of, of the vagina. And there's another part here to this whole conversation, which is related, and that's the size of the penis. Because so many guys uh, want to be bigger. Again, I blame porn for the most part, because if we weren't watching porn, we wouldn't, most guys wouldn't even know that their cocks are potentially smaller than those of the porn stars. You know, everybody would just feel fine with, <laughs> with what they have. But now guys want to be bigger because they're exposed to porn. To be honest with you, well, you know, first of all, average vaginal canal is a little bit shorter than an average penis. So, you know, what are you going to do with that big cock? 
even if you could get it because you know it's quite complicated to actually increase the length of the of the penis but you know first of all what are you gonna do with the lens you know you're just gonna keep ramming it against her cervix and her back you know vaginal wall it's gonna be uncomfortable and painful for her and um and to be honest, and, and that's kind of more my more, more more my personal experience. My vaginal canal isn't the longest. Like I know that some women, you know, like they literally can't even reach their cervix with their finger. I can massage my cervix very very easily. My vaginal canal is fairly short. So if I get together with someone and they happen to brag to me about their large cock, I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I will, I hope you will <laughs> take care of my arousal first because that, you know, I, besides, yeah, so, you know, so like you said, there's just so much that can be done inside of the vagina apart from just the in and out mechanical, you know, it can, can become a bit mechanical or, you know, automatic, this kind of just in and out movement. If you all, all, if all that you're going for is just depth and speed, then it can be fun and arousing at times if she's really, really strongly aroused. But if that's all you're doing, then at some point it will become painful or uncomfortable to her. And it will also become boring. Yes. Because there's just so much more to explore there. And the whole internal, you know, cultural complex that there's so much pleasure to explore and to have fun with around the whole, you know, vulva. So externally and in that the first third of the of the vaginal canal, there's just so much you can play with and explore and, and give her pleasure, you know, in so many different ways. So don't just go with one move. That can also be tricky for, for many women who don't potentially lubricate well or who are not very connected to their services or, you know, who have shorter vaginal canals. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you for speaking into that. And I, I recognize there's so much because I was like, oh, I want to speak, speak into that. And then I was like, oh, there's something we could talk about here. But I'm just I am mindful of time and I, I appreciate you keeping that um, very concise. So thank you. Um, there is um, there's so much here. You're right. Like, so. yeah. <laughs> uh, th there's also like um, like something that I, I often share with guys as well is um, just like information about the like I spoke about the, the clitoral complex before and, and um, you know, and just like demystifying this idea that the clitoris is just like a little button that you press. And um, it's like educating them around, like, uh, I don't have my little prop on me. So, um, but I've got like a little to scale. Yeah. Yeah. Which oh, are fantastic. Yeah. Um, but like, just explain to guys, like, you know, you, you don't just, um, you know, spend like two seconds on the clitoris as part of like foreplay and then you go for penetration like and and the clitoris isn't just this tiny little thing that you press and it's like a button that you you know okay if i press this this is going to turn her on um which is you know guys are very formulaic at least i've found and um yeah and they they want like okay a plus b plus c equals d um and and so i i, I share them like some some like how to use their tongue and how to use their fingers and how to like just experiment with like exploring the labia because you've got like the vestibule the, the vestibule bulbs underneath that which are part of like the clitoris and you've got like the legs which go kind of into the like the really upper inner groin as well and and all of that is like part of her erogenous zones right and part of this like engorged area it doesn't it's not just like this tiny little button that gets engorged so i i, I think that's like a really like just educating men about women's anatomy is just so fucking necessary because guys just don't know. Mm. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, I asked some time ago this question on social media because I just became curious, like when and how do actually men learn about the features? Because I, you know, like nobody told me until I had my first boyfriend and then I realized he'd actually told me that I had a clitoris. But how do men learn? Because, you know, I am a woman. I probably should have known <laughs> somehow. But how do men learn about the clitoris? You know, and it, it was mainly from, from women, from, you know, from their lovers, but typically not the first lover. So it was, you know, a few women down the track that they actually learn about the clitoris. But the really important thing about that is that this is the main erotic center for the woman. There is a very small percentage of women that can for women that can on, that can orgasm from penetration alone. That's like we're speaking four percent. Four percent of women can orgasm from penetration alone. They don't need clitoral touch. Huge majority, you know, need both, and a big 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 chunk of women just need just you know enjoy and prefer the clitoral. Uh, stimulation. So the clitoris is key and crucial when it comes to women's sexual pleasure and her orgasmicness. So knowing where it is, how it works, how to play with it, and more, then more specifically, how to play with her clitoris because her clit will be a little bit different. You know, it is the case for every woman. There is no formula that works for every single clit or every single man or a woman. There's different things we all enjoy. So when it comes to learning about women, the way that men orgasm from the stimulation of the, the head of the penis, so it's for you guys, penetration works really, really well because the head of the penis gets stimulated really well during penetration. We women need the clit to be stimulated, not just a little bit for like a minute before the penetration, but ideally for much longer and then during the whole sexual act as well. Don't neglect the clit. 100% agree. I like that analogy there because I often say to guys like, Penetrative sex is kind of like I, I get them to think about when they're masturbating and they ex like they don't touch the head of their penis at all. They're just only stimulating the bottom of their shaft, like and that's it. It's like imagine how difficult it would be for you to you know orgasm and experience like heaps of pleasure. Like it's okay if it was all right, but it's not like going to get you over the line um, unless you incorporate like the head of your penis and all those really beautiful sensitive areas of the glands. The clitoris you know is like that essentially. So. Um, uh, so guy, that usually lands for guys that are like, oh shit, okay, that makes a lot more sense. So, um, and there's, and then you're right. There's so many things that you can do, and like just learning about, yeah, learning about the the labia, the clitoral hood, and things like that, and just like not, you know, not going straight for it as well. Like something that I often say to guys as just a general rule of thumb is work your way from the extremities Outside. towards, yeah, the the vulva, and um, and 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 a, and a strategy for women uh, who have male partners is the opposite: is start it as genitals and work your way out to help him build that pleasure throughout the rest of his body. Because um, oftentimes, when we we mismatch between those two things as as heterosexual couples, oftentimes guys go straight for her genitals the way that he usually goes straight for his when he's masturbating. Women will go, you know, kissing him on his neck and try and build towards his genitals like they maybe do when they're self pleasuring, um, and we get this mismatch of him him going, what the fuck are you doing? My cock's right here. And and her going, whoa, whoa, whoa slow down. I'm not ready yet. And um, and then we get this like, you know, mismatch. So um, that's, a, that's a general rule of thumb that I like to share. Yeah. That is so interesting because yeah, we tend to kind of judge others by our own experience because we have our own experience. And then we think, oh, if that works for me, why wouldn't it work for somebody else? But that's, yeah, we really, you know, that's part of this, how things should be mindset. 
things shouldn't be in any way. They just are in many different ways, especially when it comes to sexuality. So having this open mind and being open to learning and exploring and not knowing if being an experienced sexologist, I can say, I don't know. Teach me. Teach me how to pleasure you. And I am not ashamed of doing that. <laughs> Because I think that this is the most, this is the actually the wisest approach when it comes to sex. Not coming from a place of, I know it all, don't tell me anything, I know exactly, lie down and I'll give you the most mind-blowing orgasm of your life. No. Yeah, that's why I always get a bit um, cautious of people that go, oh, here's like this new technique or this is the move, right? A lot of guys are looking for the move to, to use on their partner. Um, which, yeah, again, is not a, a very good strategy for like just having pleasurable sex because what if that move doesn't work? Then you're screwed, right? Like if um, if that's the only thing you're relying on and you've got no underlying communication. Um, so, yeah, so that's also why I'm a little bit cautious about giving particular techniques. Um, and I, like I usually, like we've said before, is like the, usually the caveat is like, try this out. Your partner might like it. It's something new. It's something different. You probably haven't done this before. So see if it, see if it works. Ask your partner, did they enjoy it? If they did, amazing. Look at that. You've learned something new and you can do that more often. If they didn't enjoy it, amazing. You also learned something new and now you you know, can do something else. Um, so either way, you're learning something, which I think is like the key to, um, especially like longevity with sex. Like if you've got a partner and you're you know ex having a relationship over time, like just learning new things, like our sex changes. You know, and you know, we spoke about that. A little bit earlier with regards to like spontaneity but also like our bodies change and our preferences change and things that we're interested in change and the way that we experience pleasure changes over time um so those constant like asking did you enjoy this something you enjoyed when you were 18 um and having sex you might not enjoy when you're 35 and having sex and um and i think it's really important to like continue having that learning experience with your partner and with yourself oh, absolutely absolutely yeah. Um, I am mindful of time, Helena, and I'm just wondering, is there a particular, I know we've just kind of like said, don't focus on the techniques, don't focus on the strategies, but is there something that you would like encourage people to experiment with in terms of like a type of touch or a type of stimulation? Mm. I think, okay, so I'm just going to share the first thing that popped to mind. Um, and that is actually something really, really simple, very much overlooked by a lot of guys. And that is the importance of kissing before sex and during sex. Kissing is just so incredibly erotic for many, many women and many men as well. But it seems, again, that maybe a lot of men have this idea that it's just a, little, a bit that gets, you know, gets them ready for the penetration and then they just leave the kissing behind and what i want to say to all the men all the men is kiss her like kiss her a lot and then keep kissing her and kiss her some more and during sex stop and kiss her again it's i don't know it's just such a such an incredibly beautiful thing beautiful way to for you know for people to share and experience during during sex really yeah and like make it slow and yummy and delicious and tease it out and you know just like prep um don't just like don't jump straight into a deep kiss but like tease it 
did it out first and sometimes just teasing hair, just brushing her lips with your lips without actually going into anything deeper. Just playing with it, like breathing on her skin, but breathing on her lips, getting so close and then moving away. You know, I, I made, again, I made a whole video <laughs> on my YouTube channel about that, about how to actually blow your partner's mind with a kiss. And I think it's really fun, something that, you know, a simple thing that we can embrace and kind of bring back into sex with much more force um, and that one thing can really take sex to a different place next level much more connected intimate magical experience for both yeah i love that thank you so much for for uh throwing that in there and, and adding it to the conversation because that's yeah it was that's really beautiful and i 100 agree and i i want to i know i've shouted it out at the beginning of this podcast but i also want to shout it out again here check out helena's youtube channel because it is fucking awesome um and i highly recommend it uh, and there's just a lot of practical tips on there as well which is really really great um a huge thank you helena thank you so much for spending the time i know you're quite busy um and uh yeah i just really am uh like i like i said before uh we jumped on the podcast been following you for ages and it's just been really lovely to connect and to actually have a chat with you um and to to just like learn from you as well i learned during this this uh podcast search has been lovely to to have that experience so thank you so much thank you thank you for having me thank you for allowing me to share my uh, tips and ideas and expertise with your audience it's a, it's a true pleasure thank you uh, and it has been a pleasure for me as well thank you for that Hey there, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Men, Sex and Pleasure podcast. If you find value from this content, then I encourage you to consider becoming a patron on my Patreon account. You can find the link for that in the description below. You have access to a whole bunch of perks, including behind the scenes podcast footage, as well as pre-release YouTube videos and patron-only writing, as well as the opportunity to have your name either shown in a youtube video or read out in a thank you during the podcast so like i said if you enjoy this content and you'd like to support it and support me then head to the link in the show notes below and consider becoming a patron thank you